The Theonauts, episode 114. The one where God may be silent, but he's active like a ninja on coffee. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you theopigraphiles. I'm David Gaddy. I'm that was gross. I'm Jeremiah Orr. <laughs> Together we are the Theonauts. Better late than never. Wow. How you doing, Who Dave? are we again? The. Oh. The, the Theonauts. <laughs> now we're just embarrassing ourselves. Wow. How you doing, David? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you doing? Good. I'm a little sore from our uh, foray into disc golf today. Yeah, me too. Other than that, I'm doing great. I'm drinking coffee, ready to talk about the intertestamental period, and really that, excited. That's right, man. Yeah. We we, uh, we did the pre-show out on the, on the disc golf course. That's right, where we discussed what we were going to discuss. Where we disc-gust. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. And I may, may, may or may not have shot a 25 over. <laughs> Pretty embarrassing day on the course for me today. But oh well, you know, I was working with a new disc, trying to learn how to throw forward hands. So. Yeah, it's fun no matter what. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I don't know if, if you guys are out there, you listeners have ever, don't even know what we're talking about. I don't know. It's not real golf. Mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> it's better, but it's but it's like golf. It's a lot like golf. That's right. We use and they're not frisbees. No, they're okay? it's not discs. Frisbee golf. Okay, so <laughs> just knock that off. We're tired. You of don't that. you don't want to catch one of these things that's when right. it's thrown at you. It might chop your head off. It's going so fast. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, when I throw it, <laughs> it's just <laughs> that's right. It's just going out there. So, but yeah, if if you don't know what we're talking about, go look it up. It's a it's fun. It's a really fun, uh, cool sport. Well, when you throw it, man, I I don't know how you get as much power as you do behind those discs. It's got to be you're ninety to nothing, but you throw that thing so dang hard. I'm like. <laughs> How is he doing that? I'm twice a you, and you're throwing it. I have I have no middle gear. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm either to me. stopped or I'm full blast. I am surprised that your arm is still attached to your body. I never learned how to ice skate. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best. That'd be the best thing ever. I would so want to take you ice skating. Oh, dude, you don't. You do not want to take me ice skating. I'm like as fast as I can go, and then I can't turn. <laughs> Run right into so the I'm wall. Hit, so I hit the wall, and then I turn around and I go to the next corner. Got it. <laughs> and yeah. if there's any kids in the way, uh, that's just too bad. <laughs> what happened to little Timmy? I don't know. This guy just came flying out of nowhere. Some middle-aged man just wiped him out. <laughs> oh, that's great. Got to teach you how to hockey stop. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a way to break an ankle. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> With you, hundred <laughs> percent. Anyways, all right. You want to get into this this topic yeah, let's of discussion? Do 
So in my New Testament class, whenever I was in high school, I had this very dry high school New Testament teacher, and he used to have these, uh, he actually had these overheads, like back in the day when you had, you know, overheads, yeah, yeah. you know, before technology and PowerPoint and all that, he had these overheads, and he had these little overheads of different uh, books of the Bible, so Thistle Onions, We'd we'd learn we'd memorize Thessalonians because it'd be a picture of an onion and a thistle, right? Wow, thistle onions and all this stuff. But he he definitely reminded me of uh, the teacher from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know. And uh, but he <laughs> would exactly he'd teach us these little rhymes, and the one of the biggest one is four hundred years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Acts, Romans. Wow. <laughs> so we, that's how I learned. 400 years of silence. Yes, 400 years of silence. But, you know, I always wondered, what is that? We never covered that. What is that 400 no, it, years of silence? In fact, as as we were talking about doing this, and this is per request, and I thought that was a real, it was a cool request. Yeah. Because we've not, we haven't really talked about this. We've done a lot of history stuff. We did talk about the Herodian Yes, we did dynasty. have the Herodian dynasty. And so that is in this time frame. But, um, but the... the when I was trying to think of what to name it, something that's easily searchable and all this sort of thing, and it's like, mm, 400 years of silence, intertestamental, inter- that's basically what it's going to be. intertestamental period, and that's all that... Deuterocanonical. Deuterocanonical. <laughs> I can't even say it. Deuterocanonical. That's the, that's the Catholic version. So. Right. Michelle, this, that's what we're talking about. Right. But we we Protestants like to <laughs> yeah, pride we ourselves. We don't use that term. Calling it the intertestamental period. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to, to, uh, to Dylan before I came up here, I'm like, hey, Dylan, you want to come do Theonauts with this? He's like, sure. What are you guys talking about? I said, what do you know about the intertestamental period? He goes, I don't know anything about the intertestaments. What are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, exactly. The intertestal what? Yeah, exactly. Intertestamentals? <laughs> Huh? What? What's going on there? So, so yeah. So anyway, we're dealing with what has traditionally been called the 400 years of silence. That's what we're going to talk about, right? Because it was anything but silent. In in fact, it's called that because there's no quote unquote from the Protestant view inspired <laughs> books, no inspired writings written for 400 years between, uh, I guess Malachi and Matthew. Matthew. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so that's why it gets that term, but it, there's no. It's not like things are silent. It's there's a lot going on. Oh, God is paving the way for the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that I've noticed about from studying this um, more than anything else is God is setting the stage. Yeah. For for the coming of Jesus, there is important history here, and in fact, as we're going through the New Testament, the, it just talks about this stuff like we know it. Right. That's right. Like. Yeah. How many of you know who Pharisees are? Right? I <laughs> right. mean everybody knows who but the Pharisees are. Where did those are. Pharisees come from? Right. What 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 made them <clears throat> who they were? You won't read about them in the Old Testament. Yeah, what about the Sadducees? Same All thing. All of a sudden they show up just out of nowhere that's right. in the New Testament. Well, that's because they came about while everyone was silent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they came about during this time frame. So, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. Let's 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 kind of do a little bit of a of a background. Okay. Uh, to getting up to this period. So you were going to bring <clears throat> up Daniel, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is because uh, there's some cool stuff in the book of Daniel. Um, 
all throughout it actually. Yeah. But uh, but one of the things that I want that I want to look at is this um, this vision oh, yeah. that Nebuchadnezzar has. He has a dream. Was that Daniel chapter four? Actually, he has a couple of dreams. This is uh, let's see. I think it's either Daniel one or two. Where I'm oh. going to look. Um, okay. Hang on a second. That's right. One of them's about a tree, and one of them is about um, the this idol, and the idol is actually where we want to to focus. So you have this um, you have this thing happening where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and um, <clears throat> in the dream he sees this statue mm-hmm. with a golden head and different uh, precious metals throughout. You know, the chest and the arms and the thighs, and there are all these different Right. Metals. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, I want you to do that. Okay. <clears throat> you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron and and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them would be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that stone. So um, he divulges di- that that this is referring to kingdoms. Right. Th- this is referring to dynasties that are going to happen, and he reveals that the golden head is you, O Nebuchadnezzar. Right. You are the king of Babylon, and this is the ba- start of the great empire. This is you, and uh, and. Yeah, and well, you know, they had just defeated the Assyrian Empire, right? So you did have the Assyrians beforehand, but uh, but the Babylonians, they really went to town with this world conquering thing, at least the known world, right? Um, so you have this the the this head of of gold, mm-hmm. which he says is is Babylon, and the one that comes after that then is the is the Medio Persians or the Persian Empire, yeah, the Persian. and they actually take over in during the Book of Daniel, uh, chapter five, and and uh, by the time you get to chapter six and the whole Daniel and Lions Den, we're now in the Persian Empire, right? So, <laughs> so it went from the Babylonians to the to the Persians, and Daniel survives both. You know, he he becomes a uh, a well known advisor for right. both of these, a great <laughs> asset for the Persians as well as the. And if you read, if you read. Um, Josephus, which a lot of what we're going to talk about, the reason why we even know this stuff is because Josephus. of Flavius, uh, yeah. Flavius Josephus, who um, who wrote these histories. Right. And in these histories, he actually gives us a little more detail about that transaction between the Persian and or the Babylonian and the Persian empires. Right. And uh, one of the things that because all of a sudden in the Bible, Daniel's there. Like he's just part of everything, and it's like, how in the world did this happen in the transaction tra- transition? Right. Uh, well, according to Josephus, when the Persians came into the gate, okay, this is the whole writing on the wall thing in the Bible, chapter meanie, five. Meanie, meanie, comparison. Yeah, you, the king, uh, who's actually he was uh, sitting on the throne for his uncle, but he was like 
uh, just kind of uh, holding the throne. Right. But he was a jerk. Uh, Belshazzar. Yeah. And <clears throat> this whole writing on the wall thing happens right while the attack is is imminent. That's right. That's the very night, wasn't it? Yes. So the Persians come in. Uh, they actually dammed up the Euphrates River, which <laughs> ran through... Uh, Babylon, and they went under the wall. Yeah, they snuck in under the underneath in the aqueduct. Now the king knew that they were under attack, but he didn't care because they had this huge wall around right. Babylon. It was considered impenetrable. Right. And any any time you get that uh, arrogant, that's when things go bad. Right. Sure. You can't sink the Titanic. That's right. <laughs> you can't destroy Babylon. Yeah. So anyway, what happens? They dam up the river and go underneath, and most of the people. It was weeks before they realized they were even conquered people. Right. There was no real battle that occurred. Right. They came in, they went straight to the palace, they killed this king and took over. Now, <clears throat> Josephus tells us Daniel met the king when he came in through the gate and handed him the scroll of Isaiah, which was written 150 years prior. That's right. And he points to him, Isaiah, which we now call chapter 45 in the first few verses, mentions Cyrus by name. Right. And he was so impressed that his name was in this ancient scroll. But he makes Daniel. <laughs> that he gives Daniel this. A chief advisory yeah, spot. Yeah, he gives him this advisory spot. And right. so that's how Daniel uh, ended up making the transition. Awesome. So, <clears throat> so anyway, you've got this thing that happens. And then there are some more um, prophecies in Daniel that also refer to empires and dynasties that would take over that also coincide with this uh, dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Sure. So you've got... The Babylonians, then you had the Persians, then you had Alexander the Great come through, right? And uh, and that's the Greek Empire. And in the the last one that is mentioned in the dream is Rome, which is the legs of iron. Iron. Mm -hmm. Now it does mention the feet of iron mixed with clay. clay. Now yeah. there's still a lot of debate about the interpretation of that. So what do you think that is? Just a well, question. I think that the obvious thing that it is is the fact that the Roman Empire was never actually uh, defeated, but it was dissolved and became mired and mixed in with all these other yeah, cultures. Yeah, that's what I believe it too. Yeah. <clears throat> However, um, you know, there's some people that think that uh, the Roman Empire is going to co uh, coalesce again, and I mean, I don't know. But anyway, conspiracy theorists think <laughs> the United States is part of that. Yeah. So, but anyway, we're just going to go with with iron mixed with clay, right? Exactly. And be done with it because it's not really part of this discussion. No. So, what happens is these Persians ruled from the middle of the Book of Daniel um, up until the end of our Old Testament, right? All the and way through. Malachi. <clears throat> yes, and a hundred years into this "quote unquote" silent four hundred exactly. years. Exactly. Um, so, but and there's a lot of stories that take place. Esther takes place during the Persian Empire. Right. Um, Ezra, Nehemiah, mm -hmm. um, all all of this stuff is taking place during. And this it's time it's right? important to understand what happened with the Persians because Babylon, when Babylon came in and took over Jerusalem or took over Judea, mm -hmm. which Judea is, it's called that in the New Testament, Judea. Uh, what they did was they displaced the Jews. They brought them into Babylon. Mm -hmm. uh, they bred them out. Well, the Assyrians had already done a good job breeding them out. Right. They were they were being bred out, and then they were being displaced from their their mm -hmm. country. And so when the uh, when the Persians came in, what they did their foreign policy was to allow these Jews to go back home, yes, and allow them their religious customs and allow them to even basically rule themselves to a great mm -hmm. extent 
only to pay homage <laughs> to Persia. So you have Ezra and Nehemiah, which which are the stories of these Jews going rebuilding, home, yeah, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls. And it's a big deal for them. And so you know the the Persians were great to live under. They were for the most part, you know, yeah. They, they were no matter what the movie three hundred depicts them as <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Art Xer- is it Xerxes? Is that uh, yeah, yeah. Artaxerxes is the king who uh, the the Bible refers to him as Ahasuerus uh, at one point. That, that's the king that uh, in Esther, right? It's the same guy. Yeah, and you know, so they weren't that bad. They were still. I mean, it was still foreign rule, mm-hmm. and they were still under foreign rule. So they've been waiting for this freedom. Yeah, they were. Uh, what do you call vassal kings? Right. That, that that's kind of a vassal kingdom. So, so you paid homage <clears throat> and you got to. Do you're allowed you to rule as long as you don't overstep. You know the greater rule. Exactly. <laughs> if you remember your place. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so Judea, this hundred up up until a hundred years into the intertestamental period, Persians were ruling, and so the Jews basically went along back to normal daily life, religious life, yeah, right? Yeah. They had they set back up their temple, they set back up their practices, they set back up their synagogues. They were they were becoming normal again. Yep, they rebuilt the temple. Yeah. It's not quite as grand as the one that Solomon built. Right. Um so this is uh the the Persian Empire uh lasted from about 532 BC. Remember the numbers go backwards in the BC because right. we're leading up to zero. Uh, from 532 BC to 332 BC, so about 200 years, and that's a. Uh, if you look at world history, 200 years is about the length of an empire. <laughs> so, uh oh, warring bells. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, keep going. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just joking. No, I'm not. All right. Okay, so so what happens after this? We have uh, a, a young lad by the name of Alexander. Yes, Alexander the Great was a Greek who uh, who set his 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 sights on the world. <laughs> World domination. (laughs) Yeah, it's like pinky in the brain. (laughs) Yes. It's time to take over the world. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, pinky? (laughs) So Alexander is this young guy, and uh, one of Daniel's visions envisions this next dynasty as a cheetah. Because that's very appropriate for the the Greek empire. It happened fast. They came out of nowhere and just started... Conquering the world, and um, Alexander just made mincemeat out of everybody. That's right, and took over everything. And the Persians were completely defeated in this in this whole um, this whole deal. And um, Alexander died at, at a pretty young age. And of course, by now we're out of the testamental period. I mean, we're in the intertestamental period, a, hun- sure. a good hundred years here. And so uh, Alexander the Great died pretty young. Um, he, uh, you know, there's the popular things that he said, like, uh, uh, he wept for there was no more worlds to conquer. This was at age 30. <laughs> so sad because I've destroyed everybody. <laughs> there's no one else to, yeah. to, I just can't take over anything. So anyway, but then he dies and, um, uh, it is said that his dying words were, um, he had no real son. Well, he had no son yet. Uh, he, he had an unborn son, but he had no one to leave the kingdom to. 
And so when pressed on his deathbed of who to leave the kingdom to, his answer was to the strongest. Right. (laughs) So what do they do? Civil war. Yes. (laughs) So they leave him to the four biggest generals, right? Yeah, there was four major uh, um, areas that the Greek Empire had pretty much divided up into. Yeah. And there was uh, these four generals that had control over these areas, and they began a civil war trying to take over the whole uh, shebang. There was Seleucus Nicor. Uh, he formed what is what was called the Seleucid Empire, or the Seleucids, which they had control of Judea. And they're going to be the ones important to our story because we're dealing with, Judea, the, with Judea right. and Israel and all that. Right. Uh, but aside from Seleucus, there was also Ptolemy Soter, who he had control of Egypt. Now, the, the Ptolemy uh, Empire in Egypt and the Seleucids... Dude, they were bitter, right? bitter rivals. And there's all these wars and stuff that happened between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Uh, then you've got uh, Attalus I. He was basically in control of Asia Minor, which was t- modern-day Turkey. He had that area. And then uh, Antigonus, I never can get this last name right, Monothalmus, Melothalmus, there we go. Monophilus. Antagonist <laughs> Melophilus. Melophilus. That last name means one-eyed. Ah. <laughs> so I guess the guy had, had a, one eye. Had one eye. Right. But, so we would just call him one-eyed Antigonus. And uh, so Antigonus, he had he had the actually the throne. I mean, he had Macedonia. He had Greece and right. all that. So that was his area. Uh, but anyway, we're going to focus on the Seleucids mm-hmm. because they had... Judea. Judea, yeah. Okay, so how did the Seleucids treat the, <laughs> the Israel? Oh, bad. Yes, horribly. horribly. Well, okay, so one of the things that the Greeks brought in, uh, a couple major things. The first thing is their language. Okay? Yes, yes. The Greek language became the spoken language of the known world, and yes. everybody spoke that language. And that was a big Alexander thing. Let's Hellenize the world. Exactly. So Alexander wanted to make that culture one culture. Mm-hmm. So he brought in his Greek gods, he brought in his Greek language, he brought in his Greek way of living, and he Hellenized the world. And uh, and so Judea was really split because of this. Mm-hmm. Because they had one God, yes. right? Yes. They had one religion, and their way was the and, way. And they had their own language. That's right. And so they did not like that very much. And and so, uh, you know, you had, you had a lot of backbiting and, and a lot of uh, culture struggles mm-hmm. with the Greeks, uh, but the language became really big, and to the point where they were concerned about the language, uh, the Jewish language, which uh, um, Hebrew dying out, right? Mm-hmm. So they... It just wasn't being used much anymore. Right. And so, uh, but beyond that... Uh, the Greeks really pushed them when it came to religious yeah. deals. Well, and that's why uh, the, the Septuagint was translated during this time. Right. The Septuagint was translated in somewhere around 270 BC. This is, um, uh, for, if you're not familiar with the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And uh, so we'll, we'll also find some, there's some really interesting things about the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the New Testament of 
I mean the the Old Testament of the New Testament participants. So when you read someone quoting the Old Testament in the New Testament, they're not quoting the Hebrew. No. They're quoting the Septuagint. The Septuagint. And that's, that's right. why you'll find these discrepancies that people like to pick apart and yeah. say the Bible's inconsistent and blah, blah, blah. It's not inconsistent. You're reading a different translation than they were. Right. So when they quote, they're, they're quoting the Greek translation of the Hebrew. And when we read, um, we're reading from a Hebrew translated into English yes. uh, text. So yeah. and there are some discrepancies between the two. Right. There were uh, there were a couple other things that were really important during this time in the in the Jews uh, as well. The Sanhedrin was when the uh, the Sanhedrin court was established under the Greek rule, wasn't it? Uh, actually, there's some debate about that. Uh, you may be thinking about the synagogues. The synagogues we're not real sure when synagogue worship started. The Sanhedrin didn't really begin until the Hasmoneans. Okay. So, um, so we've got this, we got this Greek thing going on, and you've got the Seleucids now in control, right? And along comes a leader, yeah, for the Seleucids, named Antiochus the Fourth, or Antiochus Epiphanes, and he antagonizes he, those Jews. <laughs> he, this is in 167 AD, and he actually. Um, wreaked havoc, like killed tons and tons and tons of Jews. This is a guy, he's a Hitler type of mentality. He's wanting to eradicate right. uh, the Jewish uh, religion, the Jewish uh, culture. He wants it gone. Yeah. And he's got control over Judea now. And so uh, the Old Testament, Septuagint or not, was completely illegal. Yeah. You couldn't have it, couldn't read it, couldn't be caught with it. And... Uh, uh, believe it or not, this is the origination of the dreidel, and uh, <laughs> so dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. <laughs> the dreidel was uh, now it developed to be part of Hanukkah, but before we get to that, right? It was originally a gambling device, and so uh, you would spin it. It's like rolling the dice or whatever. There's four right. sides of it. It's a top. You'd spin it, and then you'd bet on which symbol would come up. Right. And uh, so what they would do, this was really a farce. It was kind of cool. They developed these dreidel games so that they could publicly be seen gathering. Right? Because they're all like, oh, we're going to sit around in a circle. We're gambling. Right. Okay, we're so, playing, yeah. this, this is not religious at all. But then they would use that time to read what uh, the secret... Uh, text text that they had hidden, and they'd read the Bible and this sort of thing. And if the if any guards showed up, all of a sudden the Bibles went away and the dreidel came out. Right. So this was kind of the where the the dreidel began. Wow. So that was kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, but then you've also got all these other things that 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 happened. Um, the straw that broke the camel's back was Antiochus decided, okay, I've had enough of these Jews and their religion and their God, and he goes into the temple. And he erects a statue of Zeus in the temple and then sacrifices a pig. A pig. Now, this is what the Jews referred to as um, the abomination of desolation. Right. And so there's a lot of, you know, in Jesus's 
uh, Olivet Discourse, he uses this term when you see the abomination, the, the abomination of desolation, uh, this is going to you know, be ready because it's going to happen. So implying that what happened then during the intestinal period is going to happen again. Is going to happen again. And it's kind of interesting that Rome charges in in 70 AD mm-hmm. and destroys the temple. Yeah, and seeing there's it's a lot kind of, of an abomination of desolation. Right. But anyways, I'm just saying <laughs> that's neither here nor there, Tim LaHaye. But let's keep going. Well, and and this also leads to a lot of you know yeah. the temple has to be rebuilt. I mean, all these futurists. That's what the temple has to be rebuilt because we got to have an abomination, abomination of desolation. desolation. So what are they going to do? Rebuild the temple? They go sacrifice a pig in it? Right. <laughs> just say it. Just say it. Okay, so anyway, th- this this was the straw that broke the camel's back. There was a young man by the name of Judas Maccabeus, mm-hmm. or Judah Maccabea. And awesome dude. He was he started a revolt. Yeah. And it was like, okay, that's it. You've gone too far because pigs, remember, pigs are unclean animals. Can't right. be doing that in our temple. So uh he starts this revolt, he and his brothers. And it first off, it doesn't go well. They Tons and tons and tons of Jews lose their lives over this. Right. Uh, but then they kept on. Mm-hmm. They got a foothold in the whole thing, and they ended up winning independence, scraping through and kicking the Seleucids out. That's right. Um, it was a major victory, uh, underdog, the whole type of thing. And then this really cool, you can take this as, as uh, with a grain of salt, uh, it's not okay. A lot of this, if you want to know more about this, go read what we commonly call the Apocrypha. There's two books in there called First um, Maccabees and Second Maccabees. Maccabees yeah. They detail all of this stuff. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's an inspired book or if you consider it inspired or if you don't consider it inspired. It's good history. That's right. And not only that, but <laughs> let so, me let me also say that the, that the Jewish people um, even today consider this. Important historical, right? historical. Yeah, this is so, this 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 is. Uh, we know that this happened. Right. It's in the Maccabees. It's also in uh, the works of Josephus. Josephus he, that's right. So he 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 also um, uh, wrote about confirms it. Mm-hmm. what's been said in there. Okay, but there's a story that's not actually in any of Josephus's writings or the Maccabean books, but it's in the Talmud. It's how we get Hanukkah. The, right. Yeah. So the Babylonian, uh, well, Hanukkah is in the, the the festival of lights is in the Maccabees. But what's not is this little cool story about that led up to some of the things that they do in okay. Hanukkah. Okay. So this little story is that uh, whenever the Maccabees drove them out, drove them out of the city and they begin to refurbish the temple and clean out all the junk and consecrate it again. They went to to light the the menorah inside the the holy place, and you could only do that with consecrated oil. So it had to be oil that the priest had gone through this consecration process. Right, and because the priest had been outlawed and kicked out of the temple, they didn't have any of this stuff. So they're digging through the temple stores, and they find one store of oil. And right. it's only enough oil for one day. Yeah. So they light the menorah, thinking, well, one day is better than none, right? And then the the menorah, because it, it takes eight days for them to consecrate more oil. Right. Okay? So they light the menorah with this one thing of oil they had, one day's worth of oil, 
and it miraculously burned for eight days while they consecrated more oil. Yeah. And so because of that, uh, in the Hanukkah festival, that's why they light eight candles. Right. One, you add one a day. And that's why Hanukkah lasts eight days. Yes. Or eight nights. So it's it's all tied to that. The, yes. the actual festival of lights was established by Judas Maccabeus uh, in honor of the rededication of the temple. Yes. Uh, it's something that you can read about in John 10, uh, John chapter 10, Jesus goes to the... To festival. Jerusalem for yeah. this festival, um, so it's it's a it's it's a thing, right? Um, that Jesus celebrated, <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> just saying. Anyways, <laughs> that's so neat. Yeah. Man. So um, so anyway, that's the origination of of the Hanukkah festival, right? Uh, so that happened in this intertestamental. This is one of the feasts of Jerusalem now. That's I mean, right. wasn't yeah. even mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, so this happened in 167. BC. Now, what happened was uh, Judas Maccabeus, um, his father, um, I think his name was Matt- Mattathias, sat on the throne. He became the king, the, right. the the first king under this new dynasty, which later was called the Hasmonean dynasty. Hasmonean dynasty, yeah. and we're really not sure uh, where that name came from. Uh, there's a there's a lot of guesses out there, but um, but anyway. Uh, then his dad dies, and he actually takes the throne. Right, and his um, and, and his lineage then carries the throne up until the time that the Romans wipe him out. And these, okay, so there are some that are great kings, and there there are a lot of bad kings during this time. Yeah, just to let you know. Uh, but also, uh, this is this is the time of the Sanhedrin and the time of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yes, this is where, where they we, come from. Where we get the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees uh, were a group. Of a moral religious people, okay. They believed in a resurrection. They were focused on observing the religious practices uh, to the T. Yeah, um, they were law keepers. They were was... law keepers, <laughs> and they were more concerned with uh, obeying the Torah than they were about any kind of um, any kind of political matters. They mm-hmm. didn't care too much about the political stuff. They they care way more about keeping the law. These were people from the synagogues, okay? So there were a lot more synagogue worship. The synagogues started rising up, and they had, they were in different towns, right? Yes. Um, there was still the temple worship, where people went to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. And this, uh, the Sadducees were the ones that were in more control over the temple worship. And these were people who didn't they weren't so concerned about obeying the religious yeah, law. Yeah, in fact they kind of denied the Torah. Yeah. So they were the liberals, yeah. okay? <laughs> if you want to look at it the conservatives and liberals, these are the liberals of the of the time. Um they also did not believe in a resurrection, but they were very political minded. Yeah. And uh they were they, they sat con- on the Sanhedrin as well. That's right. They were actually the controlling group in the Sanhedrin. Uh both Pharisees and Sadducees sat on the Sanhedrin court, which were the religious rulers. Uh in the temple and m- most of them were Sadducees. So that's that's where now we have this huge setup. We're almost to the time of Jesus, mm-hmm. right about here. Mm-hmm. So one other thing has to happen, though. Well, the um, let's see. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get too far. Okay, is Judas Maccabeus had several brothers. You know what one of one of his <laughs> brothers' name was? One of his brothers' name was John Gadai. 
<laughs> Spelled G A D D I. That's pretty cool. My dad's name is John Gaddy. Spelled G A D D Y. So you never know, man. <laughs> so yeah, I had to tell my dad. You know, your your namesake was uh, yeah. actually a brother of someone who took over a whole empire. Right. <laughs> I mean, not as cool as the Weeping Prophet, but still, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or the king. Yeah, well, <laughs> David. that's true. Anyways, all right. So, so so the Hasmonean kings, they reigned from 140 to 116 yeah. BC. And so um, everything's going along pretty well for them. Like yeah. they're finally, this is the first time really since... Uh, Before Babylon, yeah, since since the Babylon takeover, that there were even kings sitting on the throne. That's right in in Israel. And remember this: before that, it was a split kingdom, right? Yeah. So this is this is the kingdom united, yeah, under one king sitting there <laughs> in Israel, which is interesting. So, so yeah, uh, these Hasmoneans they they basically they had a good hundred year run almost yeah. um, from one hundred and forty to about forty. Uh, 37 BC. Uh, actually, what happens in 63 AD, or sorry, 63 BC, is Rome becomes a thing. That's right. And Rome actually starts taking over everything. Yeah. Uh, this group in, included. It's almost like the Second Coming <clears throat> of Alexander the Great. Right. And it's harsh. There was a a um, there was the Pompeys and the Caesars, and uh, Pompey actually conquered. Uh, Jerusalem or uh, Judea and in 63 BC. However, there was a little bit of an uprising. Right. And they got a little bit of control back for a few more years. And it wasn't until 37 BC that they were finally dethroned because Rome was like, okay, I've had enough of these Hasmonean guys. Let's put someone we control right. in there. And so that's where Herodian. the Herodian dynasty yep. fits in. They actually established it, uh, as we talked about on the previous episode. Go check that episode out because there's lots of details about the Herods and who they were. Right. Uh, but basically what they did was they supplanted the throne with someone who wasn't even of pure Jewish blood. Oof. He was an Edomite. Um, and in this Herod guy and his family basically became the vassal king of Judea. Right. Which, once again, this vassal... King means you're a king in name, and we'll let you handle some of the small stuff, but you're ultimately under Roman rule. Exactly. And so that's why, by the way, when we get to the time of Christ and you've got all this dispute about how we're going to handle this Jesus character, that's why you've got Pilate going, ah, give him to Herod. This is a local right. thing. And he goes to Herod, and Herod's like, ah, he won't perform for me, so I really have no need for him sending back to Pilate. Right. And it was like, you know, it's bouncing him back and forth because jurisdiction issues. Exactly. And all this. And the Sanhedrin <laughs> in the middle of all that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's it's interesting to note Rome was a a cruel ruler when it came to the rules. They cared about their rules. And mm -hmm. if you over if you overstepped your bounds uh, and their rules, meaning they were they were in control. Then you got crucified, and any uprising they put put down really fast with cruel means of yes. of torture. And, and ultimately, that's what Pilate wanted to to and Herod. They wanted to keep 
uprising from happening. That's right. That was the, that was the main reason Jesus died from from Pilate's standpoint. Yeah, because there was a lot of <clears throat> Jewish uprising. Anytime you mess with with the Jews, you had some sort of an uprising. <laughs> they had zealots who were going around and secretly killing Roman soldiers all the time, yeah, right? Yeah. Hiding in the hills and just ready. Like Simon was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, they, they wanted to keep that. But one of the thing that, things that Rome brought in, so I keep saying that God is laying the stage for Jesus. One of the things that Rome brought in, more than anything else, roads. Yes, they they connected the known world. That's basically how they conquered the world. That's right through their through their roads, and so it was a big deal. And actually, this paved the way for the gospel. <laughs> pun intended. That's right. Pun intended. <laughs> paved the way for the gospel to get out. So God set up during that time. I just have to bring this up. God set up a language, and He set up a means for transportation to get the gospel out of Judea into the world mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. these different conquering nations, which is really cool, I think. Yeah. That's so amazing. So God so, was active. And so, th- man, this is why, I mean, during this p- time period, I mean, this is why you've got a lot of the stuff you're seeing in the New Testament. I mean, I'm just trying to think of some right off the top of my head. For example, the Galatians. Who are the Galatians? They were the Gauls. They came from, they were ran out of Europe by the Romans Settled in this Asian area, conquered by uh, what's his name here, uh, Attalus the first during the Greek time frame, right. and uh, they basically subdued the Galatians, and so that's who these Galatians are. And when we get to the time of of Paul, and you know who are these Galatians? Right. Well, they originated into that area. During this intertestamental period, exactly, uh, there's so much stuff that happened during this time frame that it's a very important time frame, and very few Christians know the details about what went on. Uh, you ever hear of the Dead Sea Scrolls? During that time period. Dead Sea Scrolls were all pinned during this time frame. Yeah, you had three different sects, I guess. You had the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes. Yeah, the, yeah. And the the Essenes, they lived in the in the, the they were kind of the nonconformist. They didn't want to be part of the Pharisees. They're gonna go live down in the in a van down by the river. Yeah, didn't want to be part of the Sadducees. No. Hightailed it out of the population yeah. and, and went down to uh to the Dead Sea. Right. And so uh they were the ones who were responsible for 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 stuffing all those scrolls into Clay jars in those caves because for them it was Kumon. doomsday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? And let's you know protect our sacred writings and exactly. other writings. And so, uh, the, and that's the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Uh, which was was found at Nag Hammadi. That that whole area. Uh, but then you've also got other things that were written during that time frame. Sure. Fourteen of what we now call the apocrypha. apocrypha. Fourteen apocryphal writings were done during that period. And almost the entire, well, I'll say that, probably about half of what we call the pseudepigrapha right. was written during this time frame. So just to, before we get out of this discussion, we, could, we should at least talk about the Apocrypha. Yeah. Because it falls in the middle of these two, um, of these two, these the Old Testament, New Testament. And, and not only that, but they were highly respected writings by the, by the, the disciples and mm-hmm. you know and the Jewish people of that time period. Yes, they they found them you know to be important. Uh, yeah, a lot. Some uh, just a few things you may not know about the apocrypha. We often think of them as uh, 
either extra canonical. Yeah, extra books that were cut out of the because the, they're not really part of the Bible. Right. And of course, the the Catholics are all like, no, 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 they're. I know some Catholics who are just adamant that they are divinely inspired holy scripture and right. that they belong in the Bible. They can't, shouldn't be taken out. And we're not going to hear to debate any of that. Just to say that uh, the history about it that you may not know is that a lot of these writings were written during this time frame and were actually part of the Septuagint. Like, there's a story in there... Um, and I forgot to look this up to, to verify this. If you guys are big apocrypha, uh, <laughs> apocrypha files and want to correct me, that's perfectly fine. But I believe it's Bell and the Dragon is a writing in um, in the Apocrypha. Uh, it's a book all by itself. But in the Septuagint, it was part of the book of Daniel. Yeah. Because Daniel's a character in, the, in that story. Um, so it's like they just considered it part of Daniel. Yeah. And the early Christians would have read it right along with Daniel. And so you've got these like the first Maccabees, second Maccabees, Tobit, Judith. There's there's all these writings in here. And don't think of them as as evil or whatever because there's really nothing in there that's going to change your overall theology or your or your doctrines. That's right. The most of them are historical. Most of them um or more Old Testament style writings. The only thing that I know of that might cause some dispute here is a lot of this idea of purgatory uh, comes from one of the um, one of one of the writings in the Apocrypha. Um, but you know, that aside, they're, it's it, they're interesting reads. Yeah, and uh, and so, but anyway, it's it's at least good for you to be familiar with some of this stuff. Right. Just so you know the history of things. And you know, like most of what we talked about during this whole Maccabean rule is described in detail in in the uh, Apocrypha. That's right. Um, you've also got these, okay, let's talk about what Pseudepigrapha yeah. is. Uh, so, <laughs> so, What a great name, Pseudepigrapha. <laughs> okay, well, okay, before we get to Pseudepigrapha, Apocrypha, the word Apocrypha was penned by... Jerome. Yeah, who didn't like it. Jerome didn't like it. He didn't want it to be part of the he didn't want it to be part of the Bible. Oh, Jerome. And most of the Christians accepted it right. as part of the Bible. And and the Pope was saying, Jerome, I want this in the Bible. And Jerome was like, I don't like those books. I don't think they belong there. And so he called these books apocrypha, which means secret or hidden. Yeah. In other words, he's trying to discount them. Right. And which Ultimately worked right because the Protestants came along and we're like, yeah, get that out of there, get it out of there. So, <laughs> so anyway, this word apocrypha means hidden. Pseudepigrapha means fake name. Yes, uh, not written by who it's claimed to be written by. Right. So, uh, like a pseudonym, like someone writes under a pseudonym. There's Stephen King wrote a bunch of books under a guy's name by the Richard Bachman. Huh. And okay, and he did that for multiple reasons. I didn't know that. For one, he was wanting to write stories that weren't in the horror genre. Oh yeah. Although Richard Bachman books ended up being in the, in the horror genre. Anyway, a digress. Suda <laughs> Sudapigrapha <laughs> just simply, it, by definition, means books that are supposedly written by one person, but they're really written by somebody else. Right. And they ascribe it to somebody 
of renown, right? Of, yeah, fame. So that it'll get more readership. Yeah. Uh, a good example of this: the Gospel of Thomas was not written by Thomas, Thomas the Apostle. Uh, the Gospel of Mary was not written by Mary. Right. The Gospel of Judas was not written by Judas. Now, these are things we know. Right. <laughs> we know pretty much the time frame these things were written in, and those people were long gone by the time exactly these were written. But there were a lot of pseudepigrapha. And there are books that actually get categorized in pseudepigrapha, and we don't even really know if it was really the people who wrote them or not, but they still get grouped into this. The Book of Enoch, we've talked about that on the show. That's considered pseudepigrapha. Which was actually quoted by... Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, Jude seems to claim that uh, Enoch wrote it. Right. Because he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, wrote, (laughs) and then quotes it. (laughs) but it's still considered part of the pseudepigrapha. Uh, there's also the, the book of Jubilees, the book of Jasher. Mm-hmm. There's lots of these. These books were all written during this intertestamental yeah. period as well. So there's just a lot that happened during this time frame. And a lot of good history, a lot of good... We shouldn't be ignorant, I guess is what I'm That's saying. right, because it, it really did set the stage for what comes in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've got to understand that. And so, you know, it, it helps to get those back. It's always good to get a cultural and, you know, and, and a, uh, um, a time frame background of... Yeah. Uh, before you, before like you start reading. Schoolhouse stuff. Rock taught us. Exactly. Knowledge is power. Yes. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready to do some news? Yeah, let's do it. And now, the news. All right, a study came out that says that churches that teach the Bible is literal grow faster than ones with theological liberal interpretation. That's really? pretty interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Uh, in a study that will be published soon in the Review for Religious Research, researchers have found that theologically conservative churches grow faster a, uh, than more liberal ones. Over the course of five years study, they found that... Five years, that's really good, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found that churches where most of the ministers uh, and congregants agreed with the statement... Jesus rose from the dead with a real flesh and blood body, leaving behind an empty tomb. Church attendance was on the rise. But in churches where less congregants and clergy agreed, attendance was failing or falling. And would you call those churches to begin with? They found (laughs) that a similar pattern when they asked the question, God performs miracles in answer to prayers, only half of the clergy in declining churches said it was very important to encourage non-Christians to become Christians. All of the ministers in the growing congregations agreed with the statement. Wow. That's, uh, you know, I think that's that's a great thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it just gives you it's proof of proof. what... People think that they think watering down the message is going to somehow make it more palatable. Right. But it's it doesn't. No. It, it it actually makes people think it's weaker, right? <laughs> so. Exactly, that's the truth. And I think it's it's always the same whenever you're trying to quote unquote engage culture, but you're compromising values. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up compromising the church, and it's, it's and there's nothing wrong with engaging culture. No, as long as you're true to the the, the truth. Yeah, the actual uh, context. That's right of the scriptures. Yeah, it's all about or the content, content and context. It's yeah. all about content and context. And so, speaking of content and context, 
A hipster nativity set has come out for sale. Yeah! That you can buy. It features wise men riding on Segway carrying gifts they purchased from Amazon. (laughs) Mary and Joseph posing with baby Jesus for a selfie. A distracted uh, shepherd looking at an iPad while organic labeled animals eat gluten-free feed. (laughs) (laughs) It's rich. I know. Oh, my gosh. You think they're trying to make a statement? I don't know, but it's really funny. It costs $129, by the way. Oh, man. And you can buy it at Walmart. Because it's... I'd buy that, but it's not worth that. No, it's not worth $129, but it'd be great to set up. Yeah. <laughs> like, the wise men on Segway hey, is just amazing. We're doing a live nativity. Oh, yes, we are. You want to talk could, about that? We could actually do that. Yeah, a hipster <laughs> nativity set. That's great. People might think, what in the world? Yeah. Speaking of hipsters, Kanye West has gone off the deep end again. Go figure. Yeah. Well, okay, so he's canceled the second leg of his tour after he had a concert one night, and he showed up, and he went on a rant about Jay-Z and uh, and uh, Beyonce, and then told everybody, you know, I told you that I didn't vote, but if I would have voted, I would have voted for Trump. <laughs> and he got booed off the stage, pretty much. <laughs> well, obviously, think of your... Think of your crowd. Kanye. Yeah, your fans. Exactly. It's hilarious. So then he uh, he showed up an hour late for uh, his concert the next night, sang three songs, and then went on another tirade about how uh, everybody's, you know, basically uh, this Black Lives Matter stuff is, mm-hmm. is bad and that we shouldn't. Uh, they're just pushing race out and everything. And so. Uh, it caused uh, everybody to basically want refunds for their tickets. Ticketmaster <laughs> had to give <laughs> refunds for all their tickets. And so Kanye is now canceled the second leg of his tour. Um, wow. Yep, because of it. So that guy, he's kind of crazy. I don't get him. <laughs> so funny. All right, anyways, I've got some Pope news. Oh, really? Yeah. Brothers and sisters, come together. Pope Francis uh, said that priests can now forgive the sin of procured abortion. Uh, When it comes to pro-life movement, few groups have been as active as the Roman Catholics, and that makes today's news all the more interesting. Pope Francis has officially given Catholic priests the indefinite power to forgive women who receive abortions. Historically, the responsibility of absolving the sin of abortion belongs to Catholic bishops, but Francis granted all priests this specific right last December for the Year of Mercy, which ended on Sunday. Today, the Pope addressed the continuation of the abortion pardon in an apostolic letter and explained that while abortion is still a grave sin to the Catholic Church, mercy will be extended to those who repent. I wish to uh, restate as firmly as I can that abortion is a grave sin since it puts an end to innocent life, the Pope's letter states. In the same way, however, I can and must state that there is no sin that God's mercy cannot reach and wipe away when it finds a repentant heart seeking to be reconciled with the Father. Wow. Okay. So wait a minute. I got to vent a little bit. <laughs> Get to it. Not a not a pro lifer, right? I mean, a pro choicer. I'm no. a pro lifer. I I wholeheartedly agree. Abortions a sin. Abortions murder. Yes. Et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That being said, if a woman aborts her baby, 
and is truly repentant of that. She can get forgiven in her bedroom for crying out loud. Amen. Why? Why? Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm venting on this, <laughs> Michelle. Don't 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 beat me up. <laughs> but beforehand, you're trying to tell me that that in order to get forgiven for this sin, you would have to go hunt down a bishop and confess to him. In order, confessing to God is not good enough. Okay, so and here's my <laughs> here's my argument, and this is what I'm really starting to learn um, about this this priest. And this is let me finish his statement. Okay, go ahead. May every priest therefore be a guide, support, and comfort to penitents on this journey of special reconciliation. I think. For thousands of years, that has been the doctrine. Right. But it's shifting. It's going and and starting to really understand the gospel. So at least is, we're pulling down at least one step. <laughs> it's it's going, and it sometimes I mean, it takes many steps. Yeah, because honestly, this is the same thing that Martin Luther fought against. It is. It's going the all the way back thing. to... But what, what this Pope is doing, this is why I like him so much, is he's taking it and he's going, not just bishops, but also any local priest can forgive this. And basically what he's doing is, do you see how it's, it's a slow progression to going, you're forgiven. Yes. If yes. you're seeking repentance, you're forgiven. Now this is what this is why I'm, the first time I this is not the the first time I heard this news today. I saw it on a brother's news feed on Facebook where he was condemning the Pope for coming out on, in this stance. Okay. And my argument to this brother who claims to be a Christian is how dare you? How dare you tell any woman that she cannot be forgiven of any sin, including abortion? How oh, okay. So, dare wait, you? so wait a minute. So this Ugh. guy was actually saying that it needed to stay the way it was. That that this woman does basically have to go. what he's going is he's saying, oh, that Catholic Church with their Catholic traditions, and now the Pope wants to forgive abortions and all this stuff. Basically, he took it as meaning that the church is condoning abortion. Uh, and the church is not is condoning weird. abortion. Yeah, and this guy there. is just <clears throat> nuts. And it's frustrating to me. We need to get on the same page about the grace thing. Yes. We need to understand yes. that grace is given to those who seek <clears throat> it. Yes, and that, and that Jesus's forgiveness reaches past these bishops and priests and, and, and reaches down into your life yes and touches you personally well jesus was the great high priest amen yes yes that's the whole point of hebrews that's right and so we need to to trust in his forgiveness mm-hmm. and so you know i don't know if you've you've dealt with abortion out there listening but you don't you don't even have to go to a priest if you if you repent yes. there's forgiveness period full 100% mm-hmm. there's no no strings attached. That's right. For those <clears throat> in Christ. So, anyways, that's all the news the I one, got for tonight. To, as Jesus said, to the one who is forgiven the most, loves the most. Amen. That's and so, you know, don't be don't be afraid that hey, I've done too much, I've sinned too much, and it's not gonna, it can't happen. That's that makes it even that makes you even a stronger uh, testimony mm-hmm. to to the power of Jesus's. Uh, forgiving power. So I'm trying. All right. So uh, what else we got? You want to do some trivia? Hey, if you want to. We got a little bit. If you want to lose. Yeah. <laughs> 
HBO trivia. Okay, I know we always forget where we were. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm gonna do. I got this random number gem- generator, <laughs> and so did you have this set up early? I did, <laughs> so that we can pick like the category based on whatever random number pops up. Okay. So one through seven would be the number would be in the order in which they're written on the cards here. All right. So uh, I'm gonna hit mine first. It came up with two, which is history and geography. Okay. What was the principal language spoken in Babylon? The principal language spoken in Babylon. Hmm, my mind is just totally gone blank because this is not going to be. Man, I'm going to guess because of the way chapter four is written, Aramaic. That's correct. Yes. Good guess, David. Wow. That's right. It's Aramaic. Okay. So your number is also two. History and geography. Yeah. Lay it on me, big man. Okay. Which book of the Bible records the destruction of Jericho by the Israelites? Just with the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Can you sing that to this tune? Joshua fifth the battle of Jericho. Walls came tumbling down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your answer is? Joshua. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so one more here. Oh, come on. Kids, give me two. That's five. Five. All right. Which is, what is that? That is... Letters, numbers, and sequences. (laughs) Okay. Name the 26th book of the New Testament. (laughs) That's easy. Yeah. Do you even want to listen to this? Yeah, I'll let the song play so people can uh, open their Bibles and start looking. (laughs) I'm going to say Jude. Yes. Okay, number six for you. All right. This is one, two, three. Do it, Bob. Five, six. That's going to be New Testament. From whose person were handkerchiefs and aprons carried to the sick for miraculous healings? Jesus? Oh, wait. No. So even the handkerchiefs and. Oh, dead gummit. <laughs> it's either Peter or Paul. It's in Acts 19, if that helps oh, you. Oh, jeez. Uh, Paul. Yes! <laughs> so we just we nailed it 100%. Let's quit, quit, yes. quit while we're here. All right, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know what happened to our other sign out sheet, so I'll just we'll pass share it, it back and forth. All right. Okay, so here we go. 
The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema. There are, visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us, and if you want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash We need the money. Theonauts. Yes, let us make a living at this. Come on. That'd you know? Be great. That would be awesome, yeah, dude. Yeah, we could just do Theonauts We would all do Theonauts long. every day. That's right. It'd be awesome. Okay, your patronage <laughs> helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs, and it could lead... To making a living. To us making a living, you never can tell. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Or the vast reaches of the intertestamental period. Thank you, David. See you later. Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At gctnetwork.com. This is your Great Commission And our darkest night. Gonna bring this world together. Gonna make it feel right. Papa Francesco's gonna shine his light. He gives us love, love.